Father, I'm um, I'm struck by the uh, by the cross. Thank you for your love poured out for us. Thank you that out of brokenness uh, comes our healing, our salvation, our new life. And I pray, Jesus, this morning as we uh, as we look at your word that you would reveal to us how you are drawing us to yourself, drawing us near. That you might give us blessing, but uh, that we would be surprised in the ways that you might draw us into that blessing. So um, give us ears to hear, hearts that are soft and open to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Does anyone uh, here this morning recognize this fellow uh, posing in front of the Canadian flag? Yes, Walter. Travis Cross. Travis Cross. That's right. Travis Cross is a local fireman and wrestler who will soon be going to Beijing uh, to represent Canada at the Olympics. And Travis has been training and competing for years locally as well as internationally. Uh, in order to have a chance to represent his country at the Olympics and perhaps win a gold medal. And his preparations have been carefully planned uh, and put into action. He's got many coaches, family, friends and supporters uh, behind him as he makes this uh, journey, as it were, to Beijing. And yet in Beijing, as in all other wrestling matches, it will be uh, Travis alone on the mat with his opponent. And I was reading some of his blogs this week. He has a little website as, as, as he's been preparing to go to the Olympics. And it's interesting to see how for Travis, um, both his victories but also his losses, he sees them as opportunities to learn and to grow. And uh, win or lose, he learns more about himself and his opponents and he puts that into practice so that the next time that he, he wrestles, I, he's better equipped to overcome. And this morning we're, gonna, we're going to read and reflect on a wrestling match that's found in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, and see what God might be saying to us uh, about the wrestling matches that we face in our lives and uh, that we encounter as we follow Jesus. And, uh, but before we read about this wrestling match, I think it would be good just to give a little bit of background and uh, so I'm going to do that uh, this morning. So the wrestler in this story is named Jacob. And he's about to meet his brother Esau, whom uh, Jacob has bribed for his birthright and stole a blessing from his father uh, from his brother Esau. And so the birthright became, when, when you gained a birthright, you were kind of esteemed as the head of the family. And when, uh, when your father would pass away, you get twice as much of the inheritance as everybody else in the family. So it was, it, was, it was worth quite a bit. And the blessing was also granted wealth, but there was also a spiritual aspect, a sense that God's blessing could be granted from the father to the son. And Jacob stole that from his older brother. And so to put it in today's terms, Jacob had stolen Esau's status as number one in the family, taken much of his wealth, and to some extent taken his spiritual blessing. And all this taking and lies is enough to make anybody very angry and bitter. 
And Jacob had been away for a long time, uh, but he was coming home. And as he comes home, his brother hears that he's coming, and he's coming to meet Jacob with 400 men. And uh, Jacob's a little bit uh, scared. <laughs> he's not too sure if his older brother's coming in love with 400 men, or if he's uh, coming to destroy him and his family and everything that he has. And so uh, Jacob sends some gifts to try to appease his brother, to make him feel better about their relationship. And he splits up his family and possessions into two camps so that if one is seen and captured and destroyed, maybe the other might live and Jacob's family might continue to live on. And so we pick up the story here where Jacob is sending the last members of his family and his possessions uh, to meet his brother Esau. And I'll read this with you. It says, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford at Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. And so Jacob was alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. So Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But the man replied, Why do you ask my name? And then he blessed Jacob there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It's because I saw God face to face, and yet... My life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. So Jacob is in a moment of crisis. He's preparing to meet his brother Esau, and he prays. Earlier Earlier in this passage, he prays to God. He's tense, he's assuming revenge, and he's planning everything he can to cover his, uh, his own butt, as it were. He sends everything and everyone ahead of him. And, I, and this phrase catches me. So Jacob was left alone. And then a man shows up with whom Jacob wrestles all night. And verses 28 and 30 show us that it's either God's agent, maybe an angel, or that it's God himself. And uh, it makes me wonder, when should God show up? And I wonder, is there a link between being alone and our ability to meet and wrestle with God? Uh, Thomas Akempis, he was a man of the 15th century, but a follower of Christ. And in his classic book, The Imitation of Christ, he wrote this. This is a, a loose translation of the Latin, so... Uh, But in quiet and silence, the faithful soul makes progress. Even as one learns to grow still, he draws closer to the Creator and farther from the hurly-burly of the world. As one divests himself of friends and acquaintances, Thomas Akempis says, he is visited by God and his holy angels. 
And Christians throughout the last 2,000 years have recognized that there's something important about spending time alone, about being still, being quiet, and the ability to know and to hear God. And uh, more recently, I read uh, an article. It was uh, a fellow that uh, went on an eight-day silent prayer retreat while he was on holiday. And, uh, and I thought I'd just read a little bit from his journal. Day one. Eight days of silence. What craziness was I thinking? Probably a good prayer would be, God, meet me here. But right now it feels like, God, help me. Just that initial stages of entering into quietness and solitude being a struggle. Day two. I'm slowly getting used to the silence. The only trouble with turning down the volume of my mouth is that every other sound seems to be cranked up. There's a woman upstairs. Women and men are housed on different floors. She's making a lot of noise tonight. Helped out by a squeaky floor, it sounds like she's doing laps in her room. I'm thinking mostly bad thoughts about her right now. (laughs) And it reminds me of the frightful part of silence. How it quickly reveals an ugly, judgmental underbelly in me. I'm thinking these unholy things about the pacing lady upstairs. And there's another guy here who I already don't like. Why? We're not saying anything. So what could he have done? What's, What's wrong is not him, but me. And then at the end of it, it says, Ending eight days of silence. My biggest takeaway is the simplest and sweetest. I leave with the experience knowledge that Christ lives in me. I have encountered him, communed with him, and heard his voice of love. What I've long been taught, now I've tasted. What more could I want? Does it take a retreat to figure that out? Well, maybe not. But sometimes going away helps us better see what's always before us. The nearness of God's grace within our everyday lives. So being alone with God, it reveals something of who we are, but also so much of who God is. And it's one of the reasons why in the Christian language we talk about having quiet times. And I think it's, a, it's an extension of this idea of, of retreat and being alone. It's this sense that once a day, we'll set aside a little bit of time to be quiet, to be still, to pick up our Bibles and to read God's Word, to hear something of what He might say. And in that stillness and in that uh, reading and in the prayer and meditation, that we might actually hear His voice as we've been discovering as a faith community. Whether it be in the rest, full repose of sleep and dreams that we hear God, or just in the quietness and the stillness that we hear His voice about what it is that we might uh, do in the coming day. So it's interesting when God shows up, but I also think it's also interesting how God does show up. It's a time of crisis for Jacob. And God shows up not to cradle him or to soothe him, to take away his feelings of fear. He doesn't actually take away the threat, which is interesting. Nor does he grant Jacob just a really good night's sleep so that when he faces his brother, this thing that he's been 
uh, you know, agonizing over for days. At least he's had a good sleep so he can be in a good space, you know, to, to interact with his brother. But God grants none of these things. God meets him as a wrestler. And it's certainly a physical wrestling because otherwise the brokenness in his thigh and the limping make absolutely no sense. But I don't think it's limited to physical wrestling. And the prophet Hosea actually tells us a little bit more about what this wrestling looked like for Jacob. And so he wrote, In the womb, this is Jacob, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. Uh, wrestling is hard work. Uh, you know, I mean, even WWF wrestling is hard work if you get behind it. All. <laughs> but, but Olympic wrestling is very much uh, hard. It's, it's hard physically, of course, but it's hard mentally. You have to be on the top of your game the whole time. Because in a moment, you can be pinned. Your opponent can twist you and turn you. And, uh, and in this case, of course, it also takes spiritual strength. And, uh, but wrestling also takes, it's interesting that it takes, the strength that it takes, sorry, um, leads us to that place where we can cry out, where we can weep, where we can, we can actually beg for God's mercy, where we can cry out to our, our fellow brothers and sisters and say, I'm in need. I'm in so in need. And I think once we get a little bit older and we get a little bit more life experience and, and if we're willing to listen, I think we begin to hear this kind of wrestling in our own lives and in the lives of the people around us. Um, I saw it on the back of a bumper here in town. I've, I've seen it at least on one vehicle. I've seen it several times. Uh, presumably a friend of somebody who died of Lou Gehrig's disease, uh, which is also called ALS. I'm going to get choked up. But the, the, the sign is very simple. It's one of anger. It's like, F you, ALS. Somebody's very bitter, very angry about the loss that they've suffered. And I know we're not supposed to say or show these things in church. And I'm not doing it just for shock value. But I think when I see that, I hear the kind of wrestling that Jacob's involved in. It's a, it's a cry. It's a cry of this person's heart to say, I'm broken by this loss. And they are crying out in anger and despair. And they haven't been able to find a way to wrestle with God over that same issue. Jacob had that chance. That chance to weep, to cry out before God, to help him through a very difficult time as he was going to engage with his brother. Maybe see the loss of his family. He doesn't know, right? He doesn't know what's going to happen. He's thinking, maybe, you know, God has blessed me so much, it's all going to be lost tomorrow. And I think we want to give others the chance to do the same. Uh, We want to do that in church. Um, I'm just thinking now that, you know, most of our songs... I don't want to say are happy songs, but they're, they're more on the joy side. There's not actually a lot of songs written or sung in church that, that cry the lament or the, or the pain that we actually experience in our lives. But I think in song, but just in our interactions with each other, I think in church, as a, if we are to be a community, we need to be able to share that pain, to give space for people to say, this is what's really breaking me. 
But we also, I think, need to be able to invite others to find that space because they're, they're lost without it. The, the best that they can come up with is that. It's just spilling out their anger and their brokenness and it has nowhere to land. It has nowhere to be worked through. And I think what's interesting too in, in the next part of the story is that Jacob's uh, wrestling with God leads to something unexpected. God touches him in a way that both leads to brokenness. Uh, he limps after the fact. As well as the blessing of God. And this, for me this raises several questions. Uh, is victory in Christ marked by brokenness? You know, the gold medal... You know, the winning in the wrestling that, that Travis Cross is going to go, he's, you know, he's hoping for the gold. But is victory as a Christian marked by our brokenness? And can we actually wear that as a medal? I was thinking of maybe, you know, uh, some of the war veterans, I think, would often have that, where their, their sacrifice and their brokenness is recognized and they wear it on their chest proudly. And I wonder if it's the same for us. I think it is because, you know, Jesus, when he revealed himself to his disciples, as many of us will recall, how did he reveal himself? I mean, he came through a door that was locked. That's pretty cool. (laughs) That's pretty neat power. But then he says, see, it's me. Holding out his hands with the nail-pierced holes, showing his side. I think that victory in Christ includes brokenness. I guess another question that it raises for me is, do we expect to wrestle with God and receive His blessing without going through some pain? Because if blessing came to Jacob and through Jacob to thousands of generations afterwards through wrestling, a wrestling that left him limping, and if salvation and blessing came to us through Jesus via His wrestling, and we, and we read something of that wrestling today in the Gospel readings, where he's just being, you know, um, yelled at, uh, put down, taunted, and he's abandoned. He's he's alone on the cross. He's wrestling at that time. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's alone. And yet, through that that uh, sacrifice, through the pain, the scars, and the death, comes blessing, a new life, resurrection. So will our blessing be with or without wrestling? Will it be with or without the pain? And I think these are questions that we're trying to face head on as a church. I think that's what we've been trying to discuss in many of our our times together on Sundays and on Tuesdays. Trying to see what God in Jesus uh, and through the Bible has uh, told us about what it means to be in relationship with God. And it seems clear that following Jesus involves some hard times some hard decisions and yet if we stop here we'd be missing half the story because God in the end does bless Jacob and part of that blessing is a new name and uh, I once went to a Young Life camp with a First Nations team from Ukula and he, who was trying to figure out what he called his crest and as I recall it his uncle told him that Everyone has a crest, usually something like a bear or an eagle or some other animal that helps them to understand and to define who they are. And it's, it's kind of, as you find this, it launches you into that new phase of life of adulthood. I remember being with this young man 
who was uh, trying to find it. He was trying to discern for himself what his crest was. And as I, I could see, it was a struggle for this guy. Because he really wanted to know who he was and who he was going to become. And it seemed like he couldn't move on unless he found that out. And I, actually, I felt badly for him. But through the week, we were able to discuss at camp uh, some of what Jesus was wanting to give him in terms of his identity. And, uh, and I just wanted him to know that his crest, uh, his new name, as Jacob receives a new name, was, can be found in Jesus. That he's, he can have an identity that is grounded in Jesus and shaped not in the character of some earthly creature, and maybe the strong bear or the, the conniving crow or whatever it is, but to be found in the character of Jesus. And that was the blessing that was for Jacob. Uh, while wrestling for a blessing, he receives this added bonus, a new name. And, and if you look at your Bibles, you'll see in the notes that Jacob stands for he grasps his heel because even as he was being born, he was grabbing onto his older brother's heel. He was kind of wrestling with him in the womb. But figuratively, the name of Jacob means he deceives. That's not an easy name to live with, eh? Deceiver, you know, always trying to pull a fast one. And if we follow Jacob's life, you know, it, there's a certain amount of his character is shaped by that, where he's, he's trying to pull fast ones on people. He's lying, he's cheating. And God graciously gives him this new name, Israel. He struggles with God. And I think I may have asked this question before, when we've been gathered, but I want to ask it again because I think it's worth asking again. What is your name? What's your name today? Or to put it another way, what's your crest? And who gave it to you? Was it your parents? Is there something in your history that's sticking with you and that is the thing that identifies who you are? Maybe something or someone else. And to ask, how does that name color or shape your present? I was speaking with somebody this week who said that the words and the tone of voice of this person's father, while they spoke to this individual while they were growing up, have left a lasting mark on that person's life. It's hard to shake off. And when, when this person hears that tone of voice or those kind of words, it just causes that person just to shut down. I think the good news of the gospel and of what we are reading about today, what God does is that he gives us a new name. He wants to begin to create a new identity for us. And I guess it would be an interesting question to ask of yourself. What is the name that you wish you had? What is the name not only from your peers and those around you, but what is the name that you wish God would grant to you? And I think it's here, actually. I think if we listen, you will hear it. You're my beloved. You're my son. You're my daughter. There's all sorts of things that God would love to say to us and actually does say to us today. And I guess the, the final question then is, are we willing to wrestle to find out that name? Jacob was willing to wrestle. Wrestled all night, actually. (laughs) And through that wrestling, he discovered for himself what God would love for him to be. It's when he continues to wrestle with God.
I think it's important because sometimes it can be frustrating. You know, uh, Jacob doesn't change all at once. I think he probably wears his name proudly. But Jacob, if we follow the story, he still actually, it's hard to shake off the deceiving kind of nature that he has. So, and I think that's something of the limp. You know, I think the limp reminds both of God's power in his life, what God has done in him. I think it's also a reminder that he's, he remains a broken individual. And yet God continues to want to lift him up. I think the same can be true for us. That we don't instantaneously change. But we can count on God to change us and lead us into new places. Jacob was actually going back to the promised land. To the land that God had promised to Abraham and Isaac and now to him. And even though it was a difficult place, it was a wonderful place that God was leading him. And so as we wrap up this morning, I guess I'd love for us to be able to remember that God often shows up in ways that we don't expect when we're alone. And that wrestling with God can be painful as much as it can lead to blessing. And that God gives us a new identity through those times of wrestling. Not only a new identity, but a good one. And I guess I I want to finally note how this passage ends. Just consider the value of rituals. It ends with a ritual. I'll just read it again here. It says, The sun rose above Jacob as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. So this ritual, as they they killed some game or maybe a a calf or a goat to get the meat, uh, they didn't eat the tendons of those animals that were attached to the socket of the hip. And it helped the Israelites to remember the time that Jacob wrestled with God. The time that he received that blessing and a new name which, which carried on for each generation of the Jewish family. So it was a recalling of the great things that God has done. And we, we conclude this morning as well by sharing in a ritual. By sharing in a time of remembrance and communion. When Jesus also was alone on the cross, forsaken. When Jesus' body was broken so that we might be forgiven of our sins and have a relationship with God. When Jesus did get up at the end of it all, at his resurrection, and he didn't limp, but he certainly had the scars to show what he had been through. And so at communion, we not only remember, but we celebrate the brokenness and resurrection of God himself, which is a source of blessing for the whole world, a source of blessing for you, for me, and for many who have not yet to hear about the God who loves us all. Uh, Let's pray as we begin prepare to share in this, this ritual, this celebration of communion. Maybe before I pray, I just ask you to just take a moment and bring before God Himself, because only you know the cry that's in your heart, the things that you are facing that seem insurmountable, threatening. And you know in your heart what your name what name you would love to have, the name that you'd love to hear from God Himself. Let's just take a moment to be still.
to share what's on our heart and then to listen. Father, we live in a very busy, very loud world. It's very easy to have something going on or something, some sort of sound, music, radio, TV, uh, videos, games, whatever. Father, I pray that you would help us to not be afraid to be quiet, to be still, to be alone. Because we can trust that in that quiet, still space, uh, you will meet us. I'm conscious of the fact that in wrestling, in uh, Olympic wrestling and in spiritual wrestling, that uh, in both places the stance is very near to one another. And we're forced to hold on tight. And while we do not seek to control you, God, we do seek to cling to you. Help us, Father, to embrace quietness and solitude. And may you pour out your blessing on us, even if it's through brokenness. Father, help us to come alongside one another when we weep, when we sense pain, when we feel pain in our own lives. help us to see how you might be uh, granting blessing through those very difficult times. Father, give us a new name. Give us a new identity. Or where that's been granted, where you've spoken to us in the past, help us to embrace it. To allow that identity, our identity in you, as your sons, your daughters, your beloved. to shape all that we do and all that we say um, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, wherever it is that you've called us to be. We thank you that in Jesus, brokenness has led to new life and we trust the same will be true for us. So Father, as we come to your communion table, help us to, to celebrate the goodness that you've poured out, the blessing that you've poured out through the brokenness of Jesus on the cross. Thank you for your resurrection life. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.